Uh, today we're going to finish up our Hearing God for Myself series. We've been at it for six months, the whole of 2007. I'm excited about today because the whole... Uh, let's pray and jump into it, but I am excited about today. All right, we're working on being tender-hearted. It's uh, part 15 of the Conscience series. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for showing up here today. Father, I thank you for a spirit of wisdom for each individual. I thank you that you uh, reveal yourself to each individual in such a way today that it's real and tangible, Father, that we would, uh, we'd know without a, uh, a shadow of a doubt that, that we have uh, just a solid face-to-face relationship with you and, and that this thing isn't dry uh, but full of life. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Y'all ever, um, have you ever felt like, you know, you're just talking to like the ceiling when you're talking with God? You ever felt like that, like, and see, that's not how this thing is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a relationship as real as, as with any other person. Uh, as real as with, you know, your friends or your family. And it says that it should even be more than that. How many of you, like, you know, you kind of got that idea, hadn't you? That, that you should, like, you know, Jesus is your best friend. You ever heard that? And he'll never leave you and forsake you. I've heard that. And I've read that. And, you know, it should be not just going through the motions. It shouldn't be just this dry religious junk. You ever felt like that though? That you just, you're like, wow, I'm just kind of, you know, God, where are you? You know, and um, today we're going to culminate everything that we learned about hearing God for myself way back when we started at the beginning of this. Remember we started out with prophecies and dreams and visions. You remember that? And then we walked through the whole thing about, you know, growing up from being a baby to a child to a son you all remember that? And then and the, the practical side of hearing from God by perceiving through our conscience to have the ability to perceive everything that the Holy Ghost... And, and, and we've worked on each step of conscience and how to hone and, and we've kind of chiseled away. Really, the whole thing, it comes down to today where how can I hear from God in real life, real time, and it's an actual face-to-face relationship that it's not just I come to church and He's not just something that's there you know, and, and we've seen that in the clock inspirational moments where people just thought he's there or he's everywhere, or he's something, I don't know what he is. Right? And, and so it all really comes down to being tender hearted. After you do all that stuff that we walked through for the last six months, it culminates with how can I have this face to face relationship? And in that, really, think of people that you're close with. You know, if you were hard hearted to them, towards them, wouldn't it be hard to have a face to face relationship? with your kids, with your parents, with your spouse, with your best friend, whoever, if you're not tender-hearted to them, I mean, it's going to be hard to continue having any kind of relationship, isn't it? It's not going to it'll be like stiff or the walls are up. You ever felt like there's like a million country songs about the walls being up between husbands and wives or whatever, right? Here's a, if country songs start making sense to you, red flag, something's wrong in your life. If you can identify with it, wait a minute, something's off, okay? Anyhow, go to the first one. Remember 1 Corinthians 14.10 said this, There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world. None of them is without signification. Everything is vying for our attention. Go to the next one. Mark 4.24, Jesus said this, Take heed what you hear and what measure you meet. So we want to pay attention what's coming in, what voices we're hearing, and we want to put a value system on what we're hearing. Y'all remember this? Just trying to get a head start. Okay, go to the next one. Romans 8 and verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness or testifies, tells the truth as He knows it with our spirit, 
that we are the children of God. So we saw this, that God's Spirit talks directly to my spirit. And my spirit, if I want to talk to God, it's got to go through my spirit. But that's where that line of communication is. You don't talk to your mind. God's not a mind. This is all like rehash, right? Romans 9 and verse 1 says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bears witness or testifies to the truth uh, to me the same way that the Holy Ghost says it. So we saw this. Go to the next one. That conscience is the voice of our human spirit communicating the influence of the Holy Spirit to the rest of our being. We saw that conscience is the co-perceptor. We have the ability to perceive everything that God perceives. We have that ability. And we saw in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse uh, 17 that but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. You all remember that coffee and creamer? You put the creamer in the coffee, you can't separate it anymore. You're one spirit with the Lord. And that's, that's huge. It's too late once it's done. Remember that? Too late. You can't undo that. Okay, and then we saw that two types of conscience was good and evil. Go through them real quick. Good was uh, the voice of your born-again human spirit. When you got born again, God gave you a good conscience. It brings peace. It confirms. It'll bear witness. It's all that stuff that give you all the information that the Holy Ghost knows. Most people don't live there. They live in an evil conscience, which is full of labors, always doing our checklist. It makes you feel guilty. It's a voice of guilt, full of annoyances and hardships, pressed and harassed, bringing toil, causing pain and trouble. Bible says we've been washed from it, but how many know it? We've got to fight that all the time, don't you? Boy, you've got to be on guard with that because it's so subtle it'll get on you in a heartbeat. And it takes you out. If you get it, you find yourself here, it's taking you out from having spirit-to-spirit communication with God. We saw six conditions of a good conscience. Pure and defiled, weak and strong, seared or calloused, and now tender-hearted is tender. That's what we're working on today. Real quick, pure conscience. The number one way to keep your conscience pure is to keep everything free from every what? Admixture of what is false. Right? Well, I mean, we're... I've heard that phrase thrown around amongst our group here now because I know you're getting it because people are identifying. Well, that's an admixture of what's false, because a good lie just has a little bit of lie to it and a lot of truth. little false, a lot of truth. That's a good lie. I mean, you know, the other ones you can spot a mile away. Right, can't you? Well, I could bench press 5,000 pounds. Yeah, okay. All right, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 9 said this, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. So if your faith didn't work, It's not a mystery. We'll unravel it. Your conscience was defiled somewhere. Defiled conscience, we saw this, or a violated conscience is an unauthorized intrusion or assault into your airspace. We all remember that, right? Your conscience will never agree to anything that doesn't line up with the Word. It'll never say, yeah, sickness. It'll never say, yeah, lack. It'll never say, yeah, let's have a bad relationship. It'll never even say, yeah, let's have a bad day. So if you find any part of yourself agreeing with, yeah, let's have a bad day, or yeah, let's be in the it ain't your conscience there's been a violation. Amen. Acts 24 and verse 16 said this, Paul said, And herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense. So, we all remember this, right? I've got to exercise myself. You have to exercise yourself. We can't exercise each other. Remember? I mean, no problems start in relationships if we try to exercise each other's conscience. Okay. Well, let me... Have you ever tried to exercise God's conscience? Yeah, that could be a problem. He's not going to try and exercise yours, so don't try and exercise his. Amen. Oh, that's so good, Andrew. Go to the next one. 1 Timothy 4, we saw this, because now we're going to talk about a seared conscience. It said in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Not everything that you think, quote, quote, is anointed is the Spirit of God. Amen. That's right. Doctrines of devils, which we saw is just religion. 
keeping you in an evil conscience is the doctrine straight out of hell. That's the teaching of hell. Then how do you know? Because every false religion teaches you to do a checklist. Well, it doesn't matter which religion it is. Buddhist, right? Shinto, right? Any of them. Harry Krishna's, the Mormons, whoever. I, the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, every religion on the planet teaches you to do a checklist. That would be a red flag to you. That's a doctrine from hell. Because you've been washed from guilt. You've been washed from full of labors. Do you all follow this? If you buy into that, it says you'll sear your conscience and what happens is you'll start speaking lies in hypocrisy. And this is what every religious person I ever met does. They put on their Sunday face and then that's their, right, they're put on the show and then live like hell the rest of their life. But when we're around, you know, the religious folk, we put on, you know, we say the right lingo, put on our best clothes. I, I don't care what religion it is, if it's, you end up speaking lies and hypocrisy. Isn't that right? This is what happens. When you did that, you seared your conscience with the hot iron. You've calloused it. You all remember this from last week, right? Go to the next one. Seared conscience, we saw this. There's two definitions. I'm going to go with the second one, because that's what bears out in the Scripture. That you deaden the feelings of your heart, and you make it insensitive or calloused. And you start building up. Every time you violate, you start building up a callous. And you start building up tissue against that, uh, that conscience. Go to the next one we saw in Ephesians 4 and verse 17. It says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk. How many know, like again, any religion in the world, any denomination, if they're walking in an either, they're ignoring their conscience or they're walking by guilt doing their checklist, it says that you will end up being in the vanity of the ineffective wasteland of your mind. I mean, Look at people that do, that do their checklists. Their mind is a wasteland. It really is. Because they're thinking on, along the evil list. Go to the next one. And verse 18 says, here's what happens. You have the understanding darkened, and you are alienated from the Zoe life of God. Are you alienated from God? No, but you alienate yourself from the life of God. That's the part that you can enjoy riches, honor, and life. Through the ignorances in them because of the blindness or the hardness of their heart. Now, we don't want to end up in that position, right? We spent two weeks on that. And we saw the end result last week of what happens if you follow that all the way out. You die, go to heaven, but God will take you off the planet early. Now, how do we avoid all that? Don't you want to know? Amen. Go to the next one. All right, go past this one. We've seen this. Go. All right, Ephesians 4, just that same chapter. Go down to verse 32. It says this, And be ye kind, that's not nice, it's the word useful, be useful. I mean, because oh, you could be nice all day long and it's not necessarily useful. In fact, it says in Proverbs that flatteries come from your enemies. But the wounds of a friend are faithful. If somebody's flattering you, even the world knows this, right? We'll say, don't patronize me, right? Flattery will get you nowhere. Be aware. If somebody's you know, being nice to you, there's probably a hook in it. But if they're being useful to you, being kind, that's somebody who's going to be faithful. It says, be kind and useful to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving. Now, this word forgiving is not the same word that's over in Mark 11.25 where if you have ought against your brother, you know, go and forgive him. That's laid aside. This is the word that comes from the word grace or favor. And it literally means to grant favors to one another. It means giving first for... Giving. That means you beat them to the punch, giving to them. He says, so 
Grant favors to one another. Be kind or useful to them. Be tender-hearted, even as God, for Christ's sake, has granted favors or forgiven you. Now, go to the next one. Tender-hearted. There's two parts of this that we really want to look at. The first one is the definition of what it is in the Greek. It says this, sensitive, it's delicate, soft, pliable, or flexible. Sensitive, delicate, soft, pliable, or flexible. Now, do you guys remember when we started uh, back in the faith series a long time ago in the fall, when we were talking about holiness and uncleanness, and that holiness was patriotism, that you were committed to God's agenda, and uncleanness was the part where you were committed to your agenda, and we talked about circumcising your heart was the key to strong faith. Do you all remember that? Look over here in Ezekiel 11. We'll just hit a couple uh, scriptures here real quick before we move on, because I want to put us in remembrance of that. And it ties in exactly with what we're talking about being tenderhearted. Ezekiel 11. I always feel so much better when we get the review out of the way because now I can relax. And let's start in verse 19. And I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I mean, this is prophecy. Do you know they were looking forward to that time? How many know that's now? Right? They didn't have a spirit, did they? Their spirits were dead. Not available. It is now. I'll put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart, sounds a lot like calloused or hard-hearted, doesn't it? Out of your flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. One that's sensitive, delicate, soft, pliable, and flexible. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people and I'll be their God. But as for them whose heart walks after the heart of their detestable things and their abominations... I'll recompense or I'll pay them for their way upon their heads, says the Lord God. Now flip over a couple pages to chapter 36 of Ezekiel. And start in verse 25. It says, Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you. Sounds a lot like what? Washing of the water of the Word over in Ephesians, you heard, right? Remember? He said, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from your idols, and I will cleanse you. And a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put in within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And then I'll put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk into my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. Say, Rhema. Uh-huh. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I'll be your God, and I will save you from all your uncleanness. Now, he said that's what he would do, and he made it available, but how many know we got a part on our end to do, and that's the part of circumcise our heart. So turn over to Jeremiah 4 real quick. Because it's available, but if we don't cut out the stony part, what will happen? Nothing. We'll just keep living that same old junky... Right? Remember when I said that if you had a relationship with somebody and you're hard-hearted to them or stiff-necked, it's going to be hard to have a relationship with them unless you're tender-hearted. So if you are in a spot where you don't think that you're not feeling the love 
from God. You ever been there where I'm not feeling the love right now? What have you done for me lately, God? You know, if you're at that spot, then you probably need to like start cutting away at some stuff. Because look over here in Jeremiah 4 and verse 3. It says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Remember the parable of the sower? Okay, don't sow among thorns. But then look what he says. How do we do that? He said, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. It doesn't get much more graphic than that, does it? Well, we're just reading the Bible now. Don't get mad. But let, and now it says, Circumcise your heart. Do y'all remember over in Romans 2? Look at that real quick. Verse 29. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 3 says, What advantage then has the Jew, or is there a profit from circumcision? Now, he just told you what circumcision he's talking about. Cutting away the callous of your heart. Right? He says, is there a profit in that? He said, yeah. Much in every way. Chiefly because that they were committed to the oracles of the reign of God. People that circumcise their heart are people that are committed to the oracles of God. You remember that from the faith series? This is, the, this is how we get to strong faith. This is also how you get to having a good relationship because you have strong faith because faith comes from rhema, right? And really, what is faith? If you have faith in me, it's because you know me. You believe in me because we have a track record, right? So if you're going to have your faith work, don't you have to have a relationship where you don't believe in God, but you know Him and you've got a track record with Him? And how you do that is cut away the callous of your heart to make sure that you're always tender-hearted towards Him and you're committed to the rhema. I'm committed to hearing from God. Did you all follow that? This is the number one way how you... Really, to be tender-hearted, the first thing you've got to do is decide that there is nothing more important on this planet than me getting rhema from God. Nothing. Now we'll get back to what Jesus said. If you don't hate your father and your mother and your, your brother and your sister and your wife and your children and even your own self... Yeah, you remember that? So this is what a tender heart is, is that you can rip away everything and there's nothing... And you know what? That means once you rip it all away and that's painful, you've got to keep it in that state where there's nothing more important than hearing from God. I'll drop it. It don't matter. You have to be in the spot where you drop everything to hear from God. When you're at that point and you're committed, then He'll start talking to you. You ever heard this? Well, wait on the Lord. Let's wait on the Lord. You ever wait on somebody that you love? No, I don't mean sitting out and honking the horn either. Isn't that what we do with God though? We'll be waiting on somebody we love laying on the horn. Where you at, God? I'm right here. You want to talk to me? What's going on? Right? Is that tender-hearted? No, it is not tender-hearted. Uh, amen. Hallelujah. Oh, that's so good. Y'all following this, though? So, if you get to the point where you ain't hearing from God, lay off the horn. Because how many of you know, and I learned this from experience, the more I honk, the longer it's going to take. Huh? I got all, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, she got to dust the house and scrub the toilets, and we 20 minutes late. And I got to make the grocery list. And the longer we honk, the longer it's going to, the more honk, y'all follow me? 
So, part of being tender-hearted, right? Was that tender-hearted or is that calloused? Oh, it's callous. That's hard-hearted, isn't it? Yeah, that ain't. That ain't. Mm-hmm. You know, and how many know? It's easy to get my wife to harden her heart towards me by laying on the horn. Huh? Is she gonna be one to be tender-hearted to me? Now, why do you expect God to be different than you? So, you know, and here's the other thing, too. If I did all the talking in my relationship with my wife and she couldn't get a word in edgewise, I mean, after a while, she won't even be trying to. She'll probably just shut off whatever I'm saying. Because after a while, blah, 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 pulling my own string like a chatty Cathy doll. Well, and then I'll stop and be like, well, what do you think? Well, I think, and then I start again. Blah, 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 and start saying what I think. You ever do that with God? How about, if you want Him to talk to you, how about shutting up? Because it says, be quick to hear and slow to See, I hear from God all the time. Sometimes I'll be like, God, shut it off. Please, I can't take any more. Because it's just, and you, if you just listen, He'll start giving you information download. And you'll be like, now how many know I don't pick the subject? I try. God, what about this? You know, he, if he don't want to talk about that or I can't understand that. See, my, my, my uh, Michaela will do it all the time. She'll ask a million questions, right, while I'm trying to steer her into doing what needs to be done, like getting ready for church this morning. Five, I couldn't even, I'm like, how do, how do you even think of all these things? And then when you give the answer and try and move her on, she'll be like, huh? Why? 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 Listen, we got to get ready for church, so I got to move you back onto my agenda, not your agenda. It's all about having a tender heart and having a relationship. Okay. Y'all had enough of that? Now, the second part of this. This is the dictionary definition of tender hearted willing or ready to yield to the influence of another. Now, who do we want to yield to? The Holy Spirit. I put it in there for, as a hint for you. Because that's who we want to yield to the influence of, isn't it? Okay? Now, you know, you could... Hmm. You can be tender-hearted and be yielding to the influence of anybody else, and that's not where you want to be. You following this? Don't be tender-hearted to anybody other than God. Because I'm not yielding to the influence of anybody other than the Holy Spirit. If I do, it takes me out from hearing from God because if I'm going to yield to something else, then I'm not being influenced by the Holy Spirit. Do do you all follow that? So, we want to be tender-hearted in one direction only. We ain't going to be whores. Which is what God called the children of Israel. And me one time too. You all remember that? Yeah, me too. I never forgot that. Okay, this is a family car, God. Watch that. Right? Because what it is is that I'm, the only one that I should be yielding to is Him. The only one I should be tender-hearted to is Him. Now, how many know He'll tell me the other people who I should be tender-hearted to. If I'm tender-hearted to Him, then I'll be tender. Then everybody else will fall in line. But if I'm tender-hearted to somebody before Him, it all gets off whack. Did you all follow that? All right. So willing and ready to yield to the influence of another, the Holy Ghost. Not rigid or obstinate, but meek. Y'all ever want to know what meek is? It's being tender-hearted. 
do not mistake meekness or tender-heartedness for being weak. This is where most of the body of Christ has missed it. Haven't they? Now, we already talked about what weak is. Somebody who's powerless, feeble, right? Somebody who can't get uh, conquer addiction. Somebody who can't just walk out, you know, right? Most people think that being meek is being weak. We've somehow, Satan has twisted it, and so our religious mind, if you hear meek, it really means weak, weak doesn't it? Tender-hearted means weak. No, no, no. Listen, I can be compassionate, I can be tender-hearted, and I can be meek without being mm, weak. In fact, remember what the opposite of weak is, is strong, and one of those words on that list was harsh. For strong, do you all remember that? That was my favorite, I put it in bold. But, oh, you're so harsh. That doesn't mean I can't be tender-hearted and I'm not meek. Just because I'm strong doesn't mean I'm not tender-hearted. Jesus was strong and tender-hearted. He wasn't weak. Did He cave to anybody? Not even at the end. At the end, He said, I could call down 12 legions of angels right now and square this whole planet away. But because He was strong and He was tender-hearted, He went to the cross and then went to hell for us. Because He was strong and tender-hearted, not because He was weak. He let them beat Him. It says over in Isaiah that one angel came down one night and killed 185,000 Syrian soldiers. One. Now, in Jesus' time, a Roman legion had 6,000 people in it. Twelve legions times 6,000 is what? About 72,000? And if one angel could knock out 185,000, how much do you think 72,000 angels could knock out? I did the math one time. It was 13 billion. We don't even have 13 billion on the planet now. Do you see? you understand it? Tenderhearted don't mean weak. God ain't looking for weak people. He's looking for strong people that are tender-hearted, willing to yield to the influence of the Holy Ghost and nobody else. Amen. Now we're talking about relationship. Because when, when I'm tender-hearted and I'm willing and ready to yield to the influence of the Holy Ghost and nobody else, and now, now I can have that face-to-face, tangible, I'm feeling the love. Yeah, y'all follow me? This is how you can hear from God in real life, real time, all the time. And you can tell Him, God, you know, hey, shh. Well, I'm trying to process the last 15,000 things you told me. Go to the next one for me. Go over to Numbers 12. I want to look at this thing about being meek. In regards to a relationship. Now, I want to back up to verse 1 of Numbers 12. I got the Verse 3 up there on the screen, but I want to look at this in a little more depth than that. Now, verse 1 it says this, And Miriam and Aaron, you know, Miriam and Aaron is his older, Moses' older brother and sister. Okay? They spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman that he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, Listen, dysfunctional family's been going on. I mean, here they are trashing Moses' wife. Well, oh, I just can't imagine that happening. Uh-huh, right, okay. Now they're, now they're talking bad against Moses. How many know they must not have liked the wife if they're, now they've moved it to talking bad about Moses because he married her? Okay? And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not also spoken by us? Does this sound tenderhearted to you? No. 
And the Lord heard it. Now listen. God stayed in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. They weren't in the tabernacle. They were over at their tent having coffee, trashing Moses. Somewhere in the camp. They got a million and five people. I mean, no, their tent probably wasn't right next door. And God heard it. Jinky, Scoob. Yeah. Now here's a side thought. They put it in parentheses, verse 3. God says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Who wrote this book? Who wrote, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament? <laughs> Throw myself a bone, baby! He says, Now Moses was very meek. Above all the... Now watch how God... Th- now listen, this is inspired by the Holy Ghost. Moses is writing it, but it's inspired by the Holy Ghost. How does God look at meekness or tenderheartedness? Did He say He's lowly? Was He meek beneath all the humble worm in the dirt for Jesus under all the men of the earth? No, He said He was tenderhearted, which put Him where? Above all the men of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam. Now, how many of you know your pager goes off while you're in the tent having coffee with your brother? Moses wasn't there. How many of you know they're not running him down while he's sitting there? Hey, beep, beep, beep. The pager goes off. It's God calling. And He says, come out here, the three of you, under the tabernacle of the congregation. Get over here to the tabernacle. And the three came out. You got a page? Yeah, I got a page. So they come over to the tabernacle. And verse 5, it said, The Lord came down in a pillar of the cloud, and He stood in the door. Now, He came out from the Holy of Holies, and He stands in the door of the tabernacle, in a pillar of a cloud. And He called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. Aaron, Miriam, get over here. I mean, you know, it's like fingernail biting time. Knees shaking. What are you kidding me? That would freak you out, wouldn't it? Uh-huh, but doesn't the Lord spoke by them too? Oh yeah, well, He's fixing to. And he said, hear now my words. In case they weren't listening, he tells them, hear my words. If there be a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. Now, i got two things that I know about Moses that God wanted us to know in this passage. That he's meek, tender-hearted, which puts him above everybody, more tender-hearted than anybody else on the planet, and he's faithful, which means he has a track record. They have a relationship, don't they? Because he's tender-hearted, and he's faithful. Look what he says in verse 8. I don't give him dreams and visions. With him I will speak mouth to mouth. How many know, not mouth to ear, but mouth-to-mouth means that what? We have a conversation going back and forth. I talk, God listens. God talks, I listen, and then I talk back, then He talks back. Isn't that what you're seeing? This is what He's describing. Isn't that what all of us want? That's how I talk to Moses, mouth-to-mouth. And what? Not Or even apparently or obviously and not with dark speeches, not cryptic. You know, you ever heard the prophet, yay, yay, the Lord would say, blah, blah, and they give their prophecy and it's very cryptic? Haven't you ever heard that? And then we write them down and publish them on our websites and then when it happens 20 years from now, we go, aha! But there's so much wiggle room in there, it could be anything. You ever seen that on like Nostradamus? He has these vague prophecies and you could read any of it. Isn't that what, 
That's what all these guys were doing since then. That's what people do, prophets, quote, quote, do now. Right? He said, no, I don't do that with Moses. I speak mouth to mouth. What I say is obvious to him, and I don't put it in cryptic terms. I like that. God's just up front. I don't have to wonder what he's talking about. I like this. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold or he'll see. Did he say he would see me? No, he'd see his similitude. So, uh, I guess the closest thing that I could tell you about, do you ever see like in Star Wars when the uh, Princess Leia little hologram popped out of R2-D2? That was a similitude of Princess Leia. Or, you know, when they're talking to each other and it's always like on Star Trek and they've got the... They're not seeing each other, but they're seeing an image of each other. That's what he's saying. You'll see a similar... Moses sees a similitude to me. Wherefore, then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Now, the end of the story is Miriam, he gave Miriam leprosy for seven days just to put her in the doghouse and embarrass her in front of all the camp so that she wouldn't talk trash about Moses again. Does God have Moses' back? Do they have a, isn't that the relationship that you're looking for? How did he get it? By those two things. What? Being tender-hearted and faithful. See, and if you start today, you decide today that you're going to be tender-hearted, uh, let me know it's still going to be a while before you get the track record of faithful. So, I've had people tell me this. Well, I just could never hear from God like you do. Yes, you can. You've got to make the decision that I'm going to be tender-hearted and then I'm going to have, start building the track record right now of being faithful. That means if you start right now and you decide that, you know what, God's going to be hearing, I'm committed to the rhema, I'm committed to this relationship, hearing from God is more important than anything else, the track record's starting now, you start moving in that direction. And as you build the track record, you'll start hearing more and more. As you become, you have that track record of faithful and you stay tender-hearted, you'll be getting more and more information downloaded until you get to the point where it is mouth to mouth. And he's, you're seeing the similitude of the Lord. And he's looking out for you. And if anybody talks trash about you across the street, don't worry, he's got your back. Isn't that what you expect out of your friends or your family? I expect my wife to have my back if she hears somebody talking trash about me. Just like she expects me to have her back if someone talks trash about her. I've had people leave the church because I told them, don't call my wife a liar. I know her. I have a track record with her. If i got to believe her or you, I'm believing her. Because I look at your life and I look at hers. Which one should I go with? Well, I never. And you never will with that attitude. Don't you want God to have that relationship with you? Then show Him something. Amen, Andrew. Oh, that's so good. Now listen, about Moses being meek. That means that... Well, just go to the next one for me. Psalm 25 and verse 9 says this, The meek, the tender-hearted, He will guide in judgment, making decisions. Don't you want that? Right? And the meek, the tender-hearted, he will teach his way. So being meek is somebody that is teachable, somebody that's trainable, and somebody that's guidable, that can make decisions, who guide you into decisions. Isn't that really the definition? Isn't that what Moses was if you think about his life? Dude had a death warrant on him. God tells him, go over and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Yeah, your half-brother is waiting to kill you. And I'm sure it's not going to work. But you go anyway. And don't worry, I got your back. I'll show a whole lot of real big signs and miracles and all this crazy the plagues and all that stuff will have. Don't worry. I mean, you know, some of us have, we have, we're not even meek enough 
to be guided into going to not have fear to tell our boss, I need a raise. But we're going to go in and tell the most powerful dictator on the planet, let all your slaves go. Do you see how meek he was? Because so, what was the influence that he was yielding to? It was the Holy Ghost. Because he was tender-hearted. He was yielding only to the Holy Ghost. How many know if he yielded to any of those other influences, like his wife saying, you're nuts, right? Or his brother, or even all the children of Israel when he showed up and said, I am sent me, and said they didn't listen to him either. He's feeling alone? And now i got to go over here to my half-brother, step-brother, who's waiting to kill me, who thinks he's God, and tell him, no, the real God said you let all your slave labor go or we're going to bring it. That's tender-hearted. Being willing to be yielded to the Holy Ghost and committed to the rhema. Wasn't that committed? Now, that was the beginning of the track record for Moses. By the time we got to Numbers 12, God said he's faithful. He didn't call him faithful the first day. In fact, he got, kind of got mad at him. Fine, I'll give you Aaron since you... Oh, I, oh, yeah. So he wasn't exactly tender-hearted the first day. Enough to get moving. Right? It's a process. It goes all the way back to the beginning when you were a baby. Remember? Spiritually a baby. You grew up to be a child and a full-grown dominant son. Now, you want to know some practical ways on how to, to keep yourself tender-hearted? Do we? All right, go to the next one. James 1 and verse 21. This is a practical way for you to keep tender-hearted. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, cut away all that junk, the callousness of your heart, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save or rescue your souls, your mind, will, and emotions. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If you hear this stuff and you don't actually do any of it, you're lying to yourself. Now you start having that callous go up because your conscience will never agree to you not doing what you've already heard that you know you should be doing. Right? For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like to a man looking at himself in a mirror. Go to the next one. And he sees himself, then he goes his way, and right away he forgot what he looked like. And then every time he sees himself in the mirror, he's like, who is that? It's like the first time you ever saw yourself every time you look in the mirror. This is somebody who's a hearer and not a doer. This is somebody who's callous. Somebody who's not tender-hearted. Somebody who's not meek. Whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty. Did he say he looked into the law of Ten Commandments? Look into the law of checklist. Look into the law of evil, guilty conscience. Look into the law of labors. No, look into the law of what? Liberty. Isn't that what we've been looking at for the last six months? That you're perfect and not to get into the one ditch of doing your checklist and then don't get in the other ditch of doing nothing? Do you all remember that? I'm trying to wrap it all up. When you look at that down the center of the road and you continue, you persevere, he not being a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You can't forget what you hear. If we put that value system on it, and it comes from God, you need to forget what you hear and put the value system on it. Anything that doesn't come from God. 
How do we do that? Go to the next one real quick. Remember this from last week? Romans 1 and verse 28 says this, And they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Remember I told you this last week that I put everything through the filter of that, that God's at the front. Anything that comes in, anything that I hear gets run through the filter of that. This is how you're tender-hearted. This is how you can be tender-hearted. That if it doesn't match up with my covenant, I immediately discard it. If somebody says bird flu's coming, I mean, no, not in my house. Kim was talking last night and how she would be at the pool this week and she would hear, she would tell the kids, don't drink the water, it's nasty. And then she would hear other moms go, don't drink the water, you're going to get sick. You see the difference? Well, one, it is nasty. But two, she didn't pronounce a curse over her kids and say you're going to get sick. I mean, no, why, did, why would Kimmy, it's not, I mean, it would just go, uh, get on. Why did it get on her? Because she's got God in the front of her knowledge and she understands. That ain't part of our covenant. I would never speak over my kids, you're going to get sick. This is all part about being tender-hearted. Because, you know what? The reason that that pricked her is because her conscience is telling her, that ain't right. You know why her conscience is telling her that? Because it's ain't calloused. If you were calloused and you were jaded to that, you wouldn't think anything of it. Why? Because she retains God in her knowledge. She's not a forgetful hearer. And she's a doer. Back up one, Emily. Did it say you're a doer of the Word? No. What did it say? A doer of the work. What's the work? You've got to exercise yourself to keep your conscience void of any offense. We're not doing work to make Jesus like us better. That's, what, that's a dead work, it's called. The work we have to do is to be diligent, to exercise our own conscience. That's how we stay tender-hearted. You've got to stay on top of it. Go to two more. One, two. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That word in the Hebrew says, Mount guard. Blockade it. Do you all remember? Like, well, you probably don't remember it. When the, the Bay of Pigs, where we had the blockade over Cuba because they were bringing Russian missiles in? That's what you've got to do to your heart. We stop it. We put a line out there. We put the carriers out there. We put the destroyers out there. We've got our hand on the nuclear football with the codes already plugged in. Because if anything comes into my heart to foul the thing up and callous it, I'm going to blow it off to smithereens. And I don't care how many good cigars come out of Cuba, we'll annihilate it. So that's how you've got to act towards anything that's going to come and mess up your heart. Why? With what? Diligence. That's the work. It takes work to guard your heart. It takes work to exercise your conscience. It takes work to stay tender-hearted. But the benefits are so huge because then God will talk to you mouth-to-mouth, not cryptically, but obviously. And you'll see His similitude when He talks to you. It's real. It's not dry. It's not some checklist. It ain't... Isn't that what we all desire, though? It's built on the inside of us to want that. But you've got to cut away the stony heart and let that tender heart of meekness and let God start plying it. Go one more. Matthew 5 and verse 5. Jesus said this. We already know this verse. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit or possess the earth. Blessed are the meek, or the tender-hearted, for they shall possess the earth. If you don't possess the earth, then what? You must not be what? Meek. See, this is, I mean, it's so easy to just back this stuff up and see, well, where am I messing it? All right, well, Jesus said that if I'm meek, then I'll inherit and possess the earth. If I haven't, then I need to back up and find out where it is that I'm missing. See, because in meekness, remember, go to the next one. 
It means that we're willing or ready to yield to the influence of the Holy Ghost. Not another. The dictionary says of another, and the another who I'm going to yield to is the Holy Ghost. If you haven't inherited the earth, maybe we've yielded our influence, yielded to the influence of something other than the Holy Ghost. Could you, I mean, no, nobody can tell you that. Your conscience will, though. If you start to sit back and take inventory... Now listen, when you start to do that, I guarantee God will show up and start talking to you. Sit down away from God. I'm going to wait for you to find out where have I yielded to the influence of anything other than the Holy Ghost. Could you show me? Uh-huh. But be prepared, because it might, you know, get a little painful when you start ripping calluses off. Or, you just might have to change direction. You might not even be calloused, because you could still be tender-hearted and just be yielding to another influence. Couldn't you? Because it says if you're, if you're yielding to another, you're not tender-hearted, but you're just yielding to the wrong thing. And how do I get? How do I line up to yield? I got to be a not forgetful hearer of the word. So that means I got to get into the word, and I got to hear the word, and I got to remind myself of the word, and over and over. Really, you're not going to hear God unless you get into the word yourself. You're not even going to hear. You'll hear God in a limited capacity if you replay these messages. But what you need to do is replay the message, then shut it off and look at the scripture yourself, which I tell you guys that you need to do all the time. Yourself. Write them down. Then look at the Scripture yourself and go, God, here's what I just heard. I'm going to remember it. Now show me this stuff. I'm, I'm giving you stuff to do that you can do every day and you don't have to do big, long, hour-long deals. He'll tell you in your car while you're driving, while you're doing whatever. Vacuum in the house, even when you're watching TV. That's why if you retain God at the front of your knowledge, He'll talk to you through secular junk. Oh yeah, He will. Now let's wrap the entire hearing from God for myself thing up. Go to this verse. Romans 8 and verse 14. You remember this? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you aren't led by the Spirit of God, are you a son? Remember the word led is to be induced or to cause or to act or to influence in an intangible means. That's really tender-hearted, isn't it? If I'm yielding to the influence, I'm being led by the Holy Ghost, it's because I'm tender-hearted. And I can't get... If I'm not doing that, then I'm not a full-grown son. Do you all remember all that? Now, because I retain God in my knowledge, but I still do other stuff, because I don't... I, I actually read and watch TV and all that. You know, I'm like normal. You all know that, right? <laughs> you all know I'm not like a monk doing Gregorious chants and, you know... right? You all know that, right? That I live life. Many of you know that I was reading, my summer reading is all about the warrior culture this year, but uh, I was reading about Hannibal and the Punic Wars around 200 B.C. Y'all remember I've talked to a bunch of you about that. This was at the beginning of the Roman Empire where they started to take world dominance. After they fought Hannibal, what they did is they copied his tactics and that's when they became a great military power. Okay? So Hannibal, one of his greatest weapons was his cavalry. But they, weren't, they were an ally of his from a country called Numidia, which doesn't even exist anymore. It was in Libya and Morocco in northern Africa. There was a tribe of these Numidians that were called the Massili, and they were horse people. 
That's what they do, horses. What these folks would do was they would get a horse and as their young ones grew up, they would grow up and teach them how to train horses and ride them. Now they were rode bareback. They didn't have reins. They didn't have saddles. They just get on the horse. And they would train the horse to do and move however they would. It was almost like they were one being. It was very intangible. They would wrap their legs around and with muscle flexes and spin into their hips and a little ankle here and a little toe there, they could get the horse to do whatever that they wanted. Now, they allied, that country wanted Hannibal's protection, so he took their horse people who were not soldiers and made them part of his cavalry and trained them in the art of war. What he did is he took these horse people and made them the most indestructible ferocious cavalry force that the world has ever seen. Because have you ever seen like the gladiator with the Roman cavalry and all those other guys? They have reins and saddles and they're using reins and saddles to move the horse around. These horses were so... Listen, they would take horses that were pure, they were strong and not weak, and that they were tender-hearted, that they were trainable and able to be guided by an intangible means that the riders would use by just flexing muscles and they would move as one. This is the perfect picture of our covenant and what God's wanted. And the Holy Spirit would get up on top of you and let Him guide you just like these riders would guide the horses. You know, they would go into battle and it would be, it was, history records it as they were like dancers. They would dance in and out almost gracefully like ballet. They could move the horse before the other guy could even yak on the rein. They got two hands free. The other guy has one. Here comes the spear and the shield. They're in and out before anybody could, I mean, gone. What happened? Almost supernatural, because nobody ever seen anything like it before. This is what the Holy Spirit, this is the kind of relationship the Holy Spirit's desiring with us when we're tender-hearted, when we're pure, and we're strong, and we're tender-hearted. That He'll come and He'll guide us. That's what the meek He said. He'll guide them into decisions. It'll be almost imperceivable by the naked eye. They couldn't tell who it was. When these horses and these riders would come, no, they weren't given commands. And you know what? These guys, they never whipped the horse, they never beat the horse, and they never spoke harshly to their horses. They whispered to them. They took care of them. Never did they ever punish. There was never any negative feedback for them doing the wrong thing. Y'all following this? Now, if a horse was not, if he was spooked or whatever, he was weak and he couldn't handle the battle, they wouldn't kill the horse. They cut the horse loose and let him live out his natural days in the wilderness. If the horse wasn't trainable, they didn't kill the horse. They love horses. They just didn't. They cut him loose and he would live out his natural days in the wilderness. It was always the horse's choice whether they wanted to yield or not. They never forced the issue. Never one time did they force the issue. See, isn't it good that I retain God in my knowledge and read stuff other than that? Because I'm reading that and I'm like, and God's talking to me while I'm reading about the Punic Wars and Hannibal annihilating people. And here's the perfect picture of hearing God for myself. That's what he wants for every, What a real, tangible relationship for you that nobody else can even... They can't recognize it. Because those muscle flexes, and, and it's all just very subtle. And here you guys go, and you're doing this dance in life that makes you indestructible. You're in and out and around any danger before anybody else can even move. I like that. Is the payoff big? It's huge. But you've got to be meek, and you've got to be faithful to have that mouth-to-mouth 
relationship. I like mouth to mouth. That's intimate, isn't it? Not dry, not a checklist. You know what? I w if it wasn't real, I would have checked out a long time ago because what's the point? What is the point? Let's at least have fun because doing all that checklist and all and what? There's, there's, you, you, there's no fun. There's no life. There's no joy. Well, I'm not, you know, selling out for that. So, but in order to get all the riches, honor, and life, that means I've got to be committed to this relationship with God above all else, and I don't yield to anything else other than the Holy Ghost. No matter what the guilt is. Because the guilt will come if you don't do what certain people in your life want you to do. Isn't that true? Guess what? It really don't matter. I won't be mad at you if you get mad at me because I don't do what you want me to do, but I do what God wants me to do and you bail on me, I won't get mad at you. I'll say that's a shame, and I'll be sad for you that we don't have the relationship that we had anymore. But guess what? The one that I got with God is still alive and well, and that's the one that's really my priority, even above my wife and my kids. And you know what? My wife has that same priority. If her relationship with God wasn't first, then her relationship with me would be a mess. And the kids and on down the line. You all found that? There ain't nobody else first. End of story. And if, you, if that's, that's the conditions of me having a relationship with anybody on the planet is I have a relationship with God first and everything else is fallout. If you can't deal with that, then guess what? You're fallout. I'm not being mean about it. I'm being strong. Is that harsh to some people? But don't mistake tenderhearted for, me, or for weakness. Listen, it is easy to be hard, but hard to be tenderhearted. Did you all follow that? It's easy to be hard. It's hard to be meek. It's hard to be tender-hearted because it takes work. That's what James said. If you're a doer of the work, you, you get the reward. Not doing your checklist. Guarding your heart. That work. Amen? I, it is my confident expectation that you're hearing from God better now than we started six months ago. And that it is my confident expectation that you'll continue on on that track record of faithful and continue on doing the work so that you will have mouth-to-mouth -mouth communication if you're not now, and that you'll constantly and instantly, moment by moment, have that ability to be influenced by the Holy Ghost, just like those horsemen, the Numidian horsemen, and be able to dance in the middle of the battle and not be able to be touched. That's my expectation for all of you. It's very achievable. Persevere, set your heart, set your face towards it, and go after it, and don't let anything else pull you off of that. Because the payoff is huge. Even if there wasn't any riches on our life, that's just bonus. The fact that I can have a mouth-to-mouth, face-to-face relationship with God where I can feel the love with the Creator of the universe. If that's all it was, I'm in. But all the other stuff is bonus, but that, I mean, that all comes as a, a result of the relationship. Your faith is as a result because you know Him. I know Him! Santa's coming! Do you all follow that? Amen. Stand to your feet with me and we'll pray and dismiss. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. Both the written and the spoken Word. Holy Spirit, I thank You for being our helper, for coming alongside us, for guiding us, for teaching us, for leading us, influencing our decisions, teaching us Your way. Father, I thank You for Your goodness and Your mercy. In Jesus' name, Amen.